Well, good morning, Access Church. How are we today? So good to see you guys. Uh, how many of you know I grew up in the South? I was born in Tennessee and raised in North Carolina. And sometimes those uh, little words or accents come out uh, from time to time. But one thing I know about the South is that we have a lot of Christian sayings, sayings that I grew up and I believed in wholeheartedly, but I thought that they came from the Lord, but in fact, they didn't. They came from maybe a Christian mama and from her mama and her mama, and that's where they came from. And I'll tell you what I mean. So you grew up hearing some of these yourself, things like cleanliness is next to godliness. And can I just tell you the quickest way to uh, put the fear of God into your junior hire who hasn't taken a shower for two weeks is to tell them that their eternal soul rests on personal hygiene habits. Cleanliness is next to godliness. It's effective, but guys, that's not in the Bible, and Jesus never said it. Another Southern favorite of mine is this, bless your heart. And that is a pretty versatile one, actually. We had a woman in our church that was always blessing people's hearts. And turns out, bless your heart isn't the highest compliment one can pay another Southerner. It is more of a dig, really. And by the way, can I say, Jesus never said that. Uh, here's a really tricky one. It goes like this, in her own way. And this one requires some dissecting, but it goes something like this. Say what you want, but I think she's pretty in her own way. See? You see? You see what I mean? Or, or maybe like this. We might also want to use it to describe uh, somebody's intellect, and we might say, nobody's ever going to think she's college material, bless her heart, but, uh, but she's smart in her own way. <laughs> see? Listen, guys, Jesus never said that. Now, we laugh because uh, these Christian sayings, uh, we attribute them to Jesus, but they're not really from him, and, and we think they're kind of funny, and maybe they're kind of cute, and and things like that. But here's what I also know. Some of us, as we've said some of these things or other things, we're actually saying things that not only did Jesus not say, they're actually in opposition to things that Jesus said. Things like this, God helps those who help themselves. Or today, very popular, you do you. Or maybe God never gives you more than you can handle. Something that we often say to people who are going through a tough time. These kinds of phrases give people a misunderstanding about God, and they can also be harmful. And today, we're going to give you a phrase that's very personal and, in fact, very difficult. God is disappointed in me. Even as I say it, some of you will have a reaction. Those words sting. They hit our heart. They remind us of our failures. They echo our own inner voice, which tells us that we're not worth anything. Those are some of the most stinging words. Now, as you grew up, what were some of the punishments that your parents handed down to you? In my house, we would be told, go to your room and think about what you did. Now, I don't know what you think about, but you sit there and you're just, it's terrible. You just think about what you did. Just process it, I guess. Or in the car, uh, you couldn't keep your hands to yourself. My mom would tell us, don't touch each other and look out your own window. I did just the opposite with my kids. If my kids were bothering each other in the store or in the car, I would often make them not only not touch each other, I would make them hold hands the entire time to the store. I'm like, all right, you're fighting each other. You don't think you like each other? Fine, just hold hands the entire time. Now, that's a real punishment. In my house growing up, if we did something really bad, we got a spanking. Now, now, our parents didn't spank out of anger. In fact, they would be like, go to your room and prepare for your spanking. 
Now, how do you prepare for a spanking? Well, I'll tell you how to prepare for a spanking because I had a few I had to prepare for. You go into your dresser and you get out six pairs of tidy whities and you put them on. That's how you prepare for your spanking. And so, now, some of you parents use timeouts. Some of you give more chores to do. But by far the worst, absolute worst, is when your mom or dad came into your room, they gave you a talking to, and at the end of that talking to, they said this, I am so disappointed in you. And then they just walk out of the room. You're like, no. I mean, I'm prepared for my spanking. Give me that. My whiteies are prepared for a spanking. Give me that so we can just get it over with. But don't tell me that you're disappointed in me. Why? Why is that so tough? Because it cuts to the heart. And, and, and here's the truth. Many people, many Christians have gone through their entire life with the belief that God is disappointed in them. That, that belief is so difficult that I have known many people that have quit on God and quit on the church because they just cannot stomach the idea that maybe they're a disappointment to God. And so like, well, I can't tolerate even being around it. Now, oftentimes we think because we've done bad things or we've made mistakes that God must be disappointed. In fact, if you tour all the way through the Bible, you're going to see the same thing. Through several characters of the Bible, we see that many of them felt like they were a disappointment to God. All the way back to Adam and Eve, you have them eating, eating the forbidden fruit, and immediately they felt naked, and they realized that they were ashamed, and they needed to hide from God in the Garden of Eden. Why? Because they felt like they were a disappointment to God. Fast forward, you go to the story of Abraham and Sarah, the eventual mother and father of the Jewish nation. And they cried to God year after year after year, and they were trying to have a baby, that, but they were unable to. And they asked themselves in their own mind, we must have done something to disappoint God, because this must be his punishment on us. Even David, the man after God's own heart, writes in Psalm 22, and cries out to God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in this moment of weakness, there is this thought and this belief in him, that maybe he's gone too far, that maybe now he's made too many mistakes, and maybe now God is done with him. And here's what I think. If we're honest with ourselves, we often, all of us, get caught thinking God must be disappointed in us. We look in the mirror this morning, and we think to ourselves, God must be disappointed in me. And can I tell you something? Jesus never said that. The Bible never uses those words in reference to how God views you. Never. Test me on that. Look it up. Jesus never said that. And so what I want to do today is first tell you some of the reasons why I think this belief is so pervasive. And then I'm going to give you a couple of principles after I tell you a couple of Bible stories. And those of you who are type C personality, meaning those of you who are very calculating, you like to fill in blanks, you like a nice outline, uh, behind me on the screen. Today, you're not going to get an outline because about 9.15 today, I was still writing this message. That's how tough it's been this week. Some messages come easily and some messages you're struggling over because it's so deeply personal. And so here's the first principle that I'll, I'll give you, and that is that maybe you feel like you're a disappointment to God because you grew up in a family or a church tradition where you were taught to believe that. Some of you grew up in a family or a church where God was used as a threat if you don't straighten up, God's going to get you. 
years ago at a different church that I served, that we were having vacation Bible school, and one family had a breakdown in their car, and it was a mom and her three kids. And I said, I'd be happy to take you home, drive you guys home. And, and, and so we loaded up the car seats, and they loaded up in my car, and we took off. It ended up where this house was about 45 minutes away from church where they lived. So we had a lot of time in the car together. And so I was just talking and just trying to get to know everybody, get to know the kids a little bit. But one of the kids in the back seat, about a six-year-old boy, just would not say anything. He was petrified. And it was, became pretty obvious as I was trying to engage him. He wasn't going to say anything to me at all. And so I eventually began to ask the mom if he was all right, and it dawned on her. She said, oh, she said, uh, I have been telling him for a little while that if he misbehaves, I'm going to call Pastor Stephen and he's going to have a talk with you. She had been using me as a punishment threat against this poor little six-year-old kid. And now here I am and he's stuck in the car with me for 45 minutes. Some people are scared to death because somehow in their family, maybe a parent or a grandparent or someone at church, maybe a Sunday school teacher or maybe a priest or a pastor, made God out to be a threat against them and their bad behavior. Maybe that was you. Secondly, I think that people sometimes think that they're a disappointment of God just because of their own self-concept. And what I mean by that is there are some inner voices that are telling you, you're not worth anything. And instead of listening to the actual words of Jesus, we hear our own self-talk. And instead of hearing what he has to say about us, we believe what we think about ourselves. Sometimes the voices from ourselves are a little bit easier to believe. Sometimes they're a little louder in the moment. And if I'm honest and if I'm transparent with you, the most critical voice in my life isn't the voice of God's or even the voice of other people. It's my own voice inside that talks to me. The, my own voice that says, you're not good enough or not worthy. Sometimes the voice inside of our head is more believable than Jesus' words. Another way of saying it is sometimes we trust our own words more than we trust the Lord's. I think a third reason that people think God must be disappointed in them is we don't realize that God already knows that you're, you've messed up. Think about that for a moment. Disappointment comes when we expect something different. Someone we look up to lets us down and therefore we're disappointed in them. We different. I expect my mic to work, but apparently it's not working. It continues to go out. Can I use a handheld? One of these? Any of these? Hey, hey, what's up? What's up? Hey, last week, um, actually, at church, you're going to have to get used to this. It's going to be more booming now. But last week at the Middletown campus, I was preaching, and, uh, and suddenly in the middle of the message, whoops, JD's, JB's guitar uh, suddenly went off, and it caused this really, really loud sound through the church. And I was preaching. It was a pretty good point I was making, too. And it was like, whoa, it just kept going on. And I had created a slide that, that said, that's not in the Bible with a big red X through it, just to kind of be funny. And the slide guy thought it would be funny right in the middle of the big noise to put up that slide. That's not in the Bible. And uh, so we finally recovered from that. There's always stuff that happens, but I think that's better. I kind of like my voice in this microphone. Let's use it next week too, all right? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But, but uh, in, in our own mind, we think we're not worthy. But then I think also, number three, we don't realize that God already knows that we mess up. But listen to what Romans 5, 8 says. 
It says, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, God already knows you messed up. And in fact, in the middle of your mess up, that's when God said, hey, I believe in you. I believe in you. In fact, he died for us in the middle of that. And number four, I think we have a misunderstanding of God's view of us. We think that God sees us as misfits, but he actually sees us as masterpieces. Some of you today, you came in here with the idea that somehow you should be on the island of misfit toys. But guys, you're actually God's masterpiece. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Think about that. God created you. He knows everything about you, the good and the bad. He loves you. And parents, you guys understand this, don't you? Your child messes up big time. Yes, you hurt. But why do you hurt? Because you know that the mistakes, with mistakes come consequences. You understand that life is hard sometimes. You know the choices that are made today will have results tomorrow. But when all is said and done, you hurt deeply because you love them so deeply. Isn't that true? And God loves you. He wants the best for you. You aren't God's misfit. You are God's masterpiece. And for just a few moments, what I want to do is tell you two Bible stories that I think is radically going to change how you believe that God views you. Two popular characters in the Bible. Here's the first one. One of Jesus' best friends, in the moments when Jesus needed him the most, denied that he even knew him. Here's Peter at the Last Supper, and he's there, Jesus, with all of his disciples, and Jesus says, you're going to reject me. Every one of you, you're going to reject me. And one of you, you're going to deny even knowing me. And Peter, in a big foot and mouth moment, says, Jesus, I would even die for you. That's not going to be me. I would give my life for you. A mere few hours later, when he was in the high priest's courtyard, Jesus had been arrested. He was falsely accused. He was beaten. And someone came to Peter and said, you were with Jesus. You were one of them. And Peter said, no, I do not know him. Somebody else came up and said, you're one of those disciples. I know that you are. And Peter was like, I don't even know him. And finally, a girl in the courtyard came up to him and said, your accent gives you away. You are one of them. And he swears to God, I swear to God, I don't know him. And in that moment, Jesus' gaze catches Peter's eyes. And Peter walks away and says to himself, I am such a failure. I am such a disappointment to God. But after Jesus resurrected, Peter was one of the first ones to run to the tomb and see where the body was. Where's Jesus? And then a few days later, the, the apostles are out on the boat fishing in the days following the resurrection. And they look and they see a figure on the, on the shore and they think, that looks like Jesus. And Peter doesn't even wait for the boat to get in. He jumps out of the boat, gets in the water, and meets Jesus on the shore. And Jesus, in that moment, that critical moment, says, Peter, you're such a failure. Peter, you're such a disappointment to me. No, he doesn't say that, does he? He just says, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, yeah, I love you. He says, do you love me? He says, yes, I love you. I love you with all my heart. He says, then go feed my sheep. In other words, go be a leader, Peter. I'm not disappointed. I just want to know that you're with me. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. Second story. There's this moment in Acts 9 where the author, Luke, recounts the very last 
bodily appearance of Jesus on the earth. <clears throat> the last time in person that we hear Jesus speak on the earth. We're going to pick out that story in Acts chapter 9. Listen to what it says. <clears throat> Meanwhile, Saul was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest, and he asked for letters in the synagogue in Damascus. And he said, if there be anyone belonging to the way, <clears throat> there's just another way, that's just another way of saying Christians. If there's anybody who's a Christian, I want to be able to arrest him. I want to take him to jail. So here is Saul who is persecuting Christians, killing Christians, and taking others to be imprisoned. And, and before you see that story, you see another story in Acts where you see Saul at the stoning of Stephen, one of the early believers of Jesus. And when you think about a stoning, you think, oh, it probably wasn't that bad. Maybe it was like people throwing some little rocks like you did in third grade to get a girl's attention. You know, maybe somehow this will be effective. No. This is where individuals were dropped down into a pit or they are put down at the bottom of a cliff. And members of the community <coughs> are bringing big boulders over their head. And they are dropping those boulders down onto the individual. With every rock that is thrown, they are more and more badly beaten. Until finally, they're killed. And the Bible says that Saul was there and he was holding the coats of the community. He was watching them as they threw the rocks over to stone Stephen. This is not a good individual. This is somebody for sure that God would say, I'm disappointed in you. But instead, Saul was on his way to Damascus to, to imprison Christians. And what happened? In the middle of the road, Jesus meets him. A light came from heaven and a voice from heaven and Jesus did not say, Saul, Saul, I'm so disappointed in you. Saul, Saul, I'm so mad at you. What did he say? Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you persecuting me? He did not say, Saul, I saw your browser history this week. Saul, I saw what kind of a mom you were to your kid. Saul, I saw the way you treated and cheated your business partner. He didn't say, Saul, bless your heart. He said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And more importantly, he doesn't say, Saul, Saul, I'm disappointed in you. He says, why do you persecute me? And Paul just says, Lord, who are you? And Jesus says, I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. Meet me right now, right now in this place. And there are so much, there's so much power in these words. So much power in these words. And here's what I want you to hear. From these two stories. One, God is not mad at you. God wants to meet you. After Peter denied Jesus, Jesus didn't come on that shore and condemn Peter. He met him. He ate with him. He restored him. He loved him. And he waited for him. And after Saul murdered Christians, he put him in prison. Jesus didn't threaten him. He met him on the road to Damascus. And if Jesus is willing to do something like that for people like Saul and people like Peter, how much more willing is he willing to do it for you? God is not mad at you. He wants to meet you. If you walked in here feeling the weight of your mistakes, God wants to meet you. If you walked in here doubting your faith and searching for answers, God wants to meet you. If you think you've gone too far, he wants to meet you. If you're sinful, if you're broken, if you're hopeless, if you're ready to give up, 
If you looked in the mirror this morning and you felt like a mistake, if you feel like you've disappointed God, let me tell you this. God wants to meet you. Welcome home. This place is for you. This church is for you. Our God is for you. And Jesus wants to meet you right here, right now, right now in this place. God is not disappointed in you. He is desperately chasing after you. He cannot wait to meet you. And like one of the most popular parables in the Bible, the parable of the prodigal son, the father does not wait on the porch to condemn the son. He does not wait to yell at the son. He waits to chase after the son. He waits to, as the son is sort of spewing out a little rehearsed speech, God, uh, Father, I'm not worthy to be called your son. Make me just one of your servants. I'm not even worthy anymore. And the father just gives him kisses and puts a robe on him and hugs him and embraces him and says, my son was lost, now he's home. And so I would say to you, what God would say, I'm not disappointed in you. I'm chasing after you. Listen, this man saw who became eventually the Apostle Paul, even though he would become the greatest, he would eventually become the greatest evangelist in the, in the church, still struggle with his past. And maybe that's you. Even though he writes in Romans chapter 1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He writes those words. But then we see him say in Acts 22 that I persecuted the followers of Jesus to death. He says, I persecuted the church of God. I tried to destroy it. In the book of Acts, he said, I stood here giving approval when the blood of the martyr Stephen was stoned. He said, I'm so obsessed with persecuting the church that I even hunted them down. And then he said in 1 Corinthians 15, I don't even deserve, I don't even deserve to be called the, an apostle because of what I did. And throughout his writings, you see that he still struggles with this past. And some of you are doing that too. And I do that as well. And maybe you're like me and the list of failures is long. Just like the Apostle Paul's. And you say, I feel like I let people down. I lied. I crossed the line I never should have crossed. I cheated. I drank too much. I hurt the people that I love the most. I stabbed my friend in the back. I couldn't save my marriage. I yelled at my kids. I gave into an addiction again. I did the last thing that I thought I would ever do. <clears throat> I don't deserve to even be able to walk into this church. I'm a disappointment. Anybody ever felt that way? The list goes on and on and on. A constant barrage from the voice inside of us. The Bible says that the enemy of our souls, the devil, speaks lies and he seeks to destroy. But the Lord, he gives us truth and life, and fulfillment. The lies that we're told don't come from the Lord. They come from the enemy within our own soul. And, and we often choose the words of our inner voice rather than Jesus and stuff he never actually said. So the first thing I would say is, God's not mad at you. God wants to meet you. And the second thing I think from these stories is God doesn't, doesn't call us back to our mistakes. He calls us forward to our mission. What that means is when God sees you, he doesn't see where you are. He sees where you're going to be. He doesn't count what you've done against you. He casts a vision for what you will do. Peter denied he even knew Jesus in that moment of greatest need. But Jesus met him on the shore and said, do you love me? Then feed my sheep. Peter became the first spokesman for the gospel on the day of Pentecost. 
And Jesus used him to spread the message of the resurrection. He went from denying Jesus to being bold about Jesus. Saul came into a meeting with Jesus on the road as he was about to kill Christians and already had. He came in as a terrorist. He walked out as a missionary. Paul ends up being the writer of over two-thirds of the New Testament. He went on to be the greatest missionary in Christian history. He planted churches across the entire known world. Jesus doesn't call you back to your mistakes. He calls you forward to your mission. And I don't know what mission that looks like for you, but I do know that it's something greater than you could imagine. It's not enough to just hear the words of Jesus. You have to believe the words of Jesus. You have to know that regardless what has happened in your story, God can take those messes and he can make them into something positive in your life. He could turn it around into a positive message. We have to make a daily commitment that we're going to listen to Christ's voice who says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, that for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. I don't know what your mission is, but it's greater than you imagine. God wants you to, to use you to do something special. He's not disappointed in you. That's the enemy's message. That's how he puts you down. That's how he shuts you down. And I have heard that voice in my own life many, many times. One of the reasons this message was a struggle this week for me to even write is because I feel this sometimes. I struggle with that sometimes. Are you able to do it again? Are you able to preach that message? Are you able to lead in the church? And you're reminded once again that God uses broken vessels. God uses all of us who make mistakes. It's hard for us to see ourselves as God's masterpiece, but that's what Jesus says about you, that you were created so that you would be able to, to praise his glory. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You're a people that belong to God. That's what the Bible says about you. It says you're a son or a daughter of God. And today, I would encourage you, would you draw a line in the sand? Would you grab onto Jesus' words? that you're going to reject this stuff that the enemy wants to say to you and the, and the stuff that Jesus never said, and you're going to embrace the stuff that Jesus actually said about you, who he says you are. And you got to go forward in that with humility because without him, we are unworthy. But he says, I'm going to turn your past. I'm going to make it into something great. So today we're going to pray. And we're going to pray that today as you walk out of here, you feel renewed. And when you look in the mirror, that you see yourself differently from now on. You say, God, I humbly come before you as somebody who is not perfect, but would you use me? Would you just use me, God? Use me to do something great for you. Use me to do something great for my family. God, we just thank you today that to the praise of your glory, you're able to take our mistakes and turn them around. You're able to take our shame, our guilt, the things we've done in the past. And God, help us to really believe the scripture today. You don't look at us, us as disappointments. Do you hurt for us sometimes? Yes. Do you wish we made better decisions sometimes? Absolutely. Are there going to be consequences for our behavior? Yes. But God, you take all of that and somehow you redeem it. You restore it. You want to use us today, God. And I pray, Lord, that we would believe that, that we would know that with all of our heart. Thank you, God, for being so faithful. Thank you for loving us despite ourselves. And thank you, God, for 
for Christ who gives us hope. We pray this in your name.